Hey, Jesse Paul Smith here, My Creative District Podcast. And in this episode, I chatted with my main man, Dion, from In Club Magazine. Now, this guy is West Philadelphia, born and raised, founder and editor-in-chief of In Club Magazine. And we talk about the importance of purpose and how you actually get to work with quality people so you can make your content quality. You're not going to want to miss this one. Let's get right to it. Welcome to another episode of the My Creative District podcast, where we discuss how to channel your creative power into building the life you want, building the business you want, and making the impact you want. We believe creatives can live out a passionate and fulfilled life when they completely embrace their unique design and purpose. Want to turn your passion into profit? Stay tuned to hear from industry professionals, paradigm shifters, and world changers who have done just that and live it every day. This is the My Creative District podcast with your host, Jesse Paul Smith. All right. I got my main man here, Dion from In Club Magazine. Welcome to the show, brother. Good to see you. Likewise, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Absolutely, brother. For anybody that's not on Clubhouse right now, I'm going to tell you, uh, for all you Android users, I'm sorry. But if you are, if you're on an iPhone or any kind of Apple device that you can get Clubhouse, you need to get Clubhouse because I'm going to tell you, I've met some of the coolest people. That's even how this interview started. And, uh, you know, met Dion on Clubhouse, learned about what he was doing with his magazine. I was like, man, I got to have this guy uh, on my show. Uh, and so I'm super excited to, to get into this conversation, but just a quick side note, if you've got clubhouse and you're not on it, you're missing out. So make sure you, uh, make sure you grab that. But man, um, you know, I, I love to always kind of do this for people that don't necessarily know who you are and, and like get some context for the conversation. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, let's, let's, let's kind of stop. I mean, obviously you run a, a, a magazine. We're going to get into that in a minute. How, why that's successful, where it's going, how it's actually impacting culture right now. But, uh, let's go back to the 13 year old version of, of Dion was like being a magazine, like, a director and, and, and curator and all this kind of stuff. Was this kind of something you always wanted to do or what were you trying to do at age 13? So it's funny. Hindsight is 2020 and I can put the pieces together, but no, at 13 years old, I can remember vividly. I wanted to be an animator cartoonist. I was about to go to one of the best high schools in Philadelphia uh, or got accepted. I shouldn't say I was about to go. I wanted to, my attendance was terrible. My mom wanted to send me somewhere else, but I remember vividly like 13 was such a turning point for my life. Um, a lot happened uh, at 13. But at 13, I was dead set animator cartoonist, right? But also at 13, there was a couple of things that I did really well, pretty naturally. And reading and writing was one of those things. I was always advanced. My uh, PSSTs or whatever, PSSAs and all that was always advanced, like through the roof. So I always enjoyed and had this knack for writing. And I cared about that. The funny thing about it, I was still playing with toys at 13. I don't know if a lot of guys were. Maybe that's normal. Maybe it's not. 
But with my even with my toys, I would create characters. So they'd be like X-Men and this and a third, but I would give them my, a name that I want them to have. I would make them go to a school I want them to go to. So I was already doing a lot of this kind of storytelling and, and, and you know, arcs and all these type of things at 13 years old, but never connected it to something that I would do long term, right? I was really dead set on, I'm going to be an animator cartoonist, which helped me because I was already writing stories for these things that I was going to create when I drew them. So at 13, that that's where my mind was, nothing else. And then, you know, things kind of shifted that year for me as well, because just in my personal life, a lot of things happened where, you know, I came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that was another arc that kind of came out of there. So now a little bit of things started to shift on, okay, animator cartoonist. All right, how do I do that to glorify God? You know what I mean? So it's, it's things like that started to change. But 13 was pivotal, man. 13 was huge for me. And, you know, with these dreams that you had, I mean, was like being an entrepreneur also something that you were interested in? Or were you kind of like, I'm going to try to figure out how to do this as a, you know, as a hired W-2 employee? Yeah, ne- never, ever. So the, the sad thing about it, I grew up in a very dysfunctional house. So college was never talked about. And, you know, career building, those type of things, those skill sets weren't really things that we were um, you know, afforded to. So we didn't really talk about those things. Um, we've had people in my family that talked about running their own business, but they were always talking about like opening a store and selling cheesesteaks or something like that. And I had no interest in those things. So I was just like, no, I want to do art. Like I was literally, I've always been stubborn too. So I was just like, I'm going to do art and that's all I'm going to do. Right. And all the discouragement, you know, how you going to make money from that? How you going to go to this, that, and the third? So it was a little daunting, but my mind was still set on just doing art. So entrepreneurship, that that really didn't come up to much later. I don't even think I, I fully understood what that meant, if I'm being quite honest, especially at 13 years old. Never understood that. I think I even started hearing the term about just owning your own business, maybe around 16, 17. You know, by then, you know, you're about to be out of high school, and now you're just thinking about, let me just get a job. <laughs> Miles, it was like get a job because I know at eighteen you gotta you gotta go take care of yourself type of thing. Uh, at least in my household, so no entrepreneurship was, was the furthest thing from my mind. I was always I was always very focused on things. I had tunnel vision about everything else when I was focused. So I, I just knew animated cartoonists is the way to go. I already started working. I started working again maybe even before thirteen, but I used to go up to supermarkets and help people like carry their bag, carry their groceries to their car, just so I could buy like my family Christmas presents and stuff like that. So I've always been very generous. I knew I always wanted to be able to give. So I started working my first real job I was thinking I was fourteen. I was able to get a yellow card here in Philadelphia. Then by the time I was 16, I got my blue card, but I was already working. So when I graduated high school, I was already a store manager at a store, you know, making uh sixty two thousand a year. So, you know, at that time, back then I was like, yeah. oh, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> so where, where did you, I mean, when you were, when you started to really, now granted you're, you're talking about sales manager at a, at a, at a store at right when you graduate, but like, where did you see your animation career head, like heading? Where, where were you going to go? If you weren't going to do it kind of as a, as an entrepreneur, where did you want to see it go? Yeah. So I had this thing in my mind. I don't know if you're old enough to remember it. I think, uh, I think it was Cartoon Network. They used to do this thing where what was it Nickelodeon? It was one of those, right? It was one of those, and they used to do this contest. Like every week, you can kind of submit 
it was like cow, uh, Courage a Cowardly Dog and all this stuff. And each week they would play like a small clip of one of these other cartoons and people would vote on them and that would be the one that turns into a series. So in my mind, that's what I was going to do. Mind you, with no know-how. No, not understanding that I would have to move out of Philadelphia. No understanding that I would have to pick a college that's known for that because mind you, college wasn't talked about in my house. So I actually had no blueprint or no roadmap. All I knew was, okay, cool, I can do that. <laughs> Wherever I need to do that at, that's where I'll do it. So I had this idea of kind of, working for Nickelodeon or Cartoon Network, you know, creating a series and seeing if they pick it up type of thing. That's what I had in my head, but simply just because that's what they were doing with a lot of those cartoons at the time. But I had no blueprint. I had no way of actually understanding what's the what's the cadence for this to even happen. You know, if somebody told me, hey, yeah, you're going to have to move to L.A., then you should probably go to a school that's reputable in art. <laughs> you know, no one talked to me about those things. So I had no clue. I just knew, all right, I'm going to figure out how to do art. And that was it. So... I mean, you're you're managing a, a store. Uh, by the time you graduate, where does art fit into the picture at that point? It does not. That's the thing. You know, by the time I graduated my senior year of high school, I just had a daughter. I was working, and all I kept on thinking about was like, okay, I need to provide for my kids. So I moved out of my grandparents' house, got my own place. It was just like, yo, this was going to be. And I just realized that I was not fulfilled in that. Right? I was like, these things are cool but I want to do more, you know, and, and my, my heart for helping people. I just felt like I wasn't fulfilled. I could have been making 600000 I still would not have been fulfilled, right? So, and around that time is kind of when the conversation started to shift on uh, different things that I knew I wanted to do outside of retail. So at first it was like, I'm going to open my own sneaker store. And then it was, you know, all these other, all these other things because I realized I was really good at sales at a, from a young age. I was really good at that. And then I started really getting a, you know, a, a eye for fashion. So I was like, okay, I'm kind of really good at this fashion thing, right? So I thought it was going to take me in that direction until until a conversation where I kind of, someone asked me, I think, yeah, someone asked me, I think it was at a conference or something, and they said to me, like, how do I find my purpose? Like, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you know what you're supposed to do? And when I realized that the answer was more about what I hated more than what I loved, that's when it kind of clicked for me. You know, I think a lot of people think their passion for what they're supposed to be doing. No, that's not necessarily true, right? It's when it's when you see something that you just take umbrage with, something that every time you see it, it, it makes your stomach curl. You're supposed to do something about that. And the way you're supposed to do it about it is whatever skill sets you have, right? So my skill sets was that I was always a critical thinker. I was a leader. I was in, you know, management for a long time, yada, yada, yada. So I was like, okay, I need to use these skill sets to do something about this one thing that just bothers me. I, you know, and that's kind of when it clicked for me, like, okay, this is not going to be an art. This is not going to be in retail either. <laughs> okay. So I want to, I want to dive into this a little bit better because, because I think this purpose conversation is so important, but when did you realize that purpose was more than just your skill set? that it was about something bigger? And when you did discover that, how did that change things for you? Yeah, I mean, I think it was everything for me. And it started at, at church. I think I was reading this book called Facing Your Giants. And in that book, one of the things that, that really spoke to me was this idea that this person, his resume was very different. Like David's resume for people who are familiar with the story, like he, he didn't have anything. He didn't have anything on there that would automatically make him stand out from anybody. But the way he sold himself, you know, this man, he didn't put on there that he tended to his father's sheep. He put on there that, you know, he fought. Um, bears off from the sheep right <laughs> like when they would try to come get them he would have to fight them off so he said that that's what made me equipped to be able to take on this giant right and i think that was purpose like to me i read that as wow 
he understood like, yo, this moment, this thing is my purpose. And then the, the thing about defeating a giant was that not only can I defeat this giant, but it just shows that I have this purpose to lead people. That when everyone else is afraid, the tallest person in the land who was Saul was like, nope, I'll sit this one out, right? Because <laughs> back then that's how it was. If you was the tallest one, you were the one that's supposed to take that fight. Saul was like, nah, I'm good. And then he was like, <laughs> right? And I, think, and I think that's what it means about that purpose. It's kind of like, no, if not me, then who? Like, I'm going to do this. So the fact that I kept on having this issue, the fact that I kept on seeing things that I did not like, I wasn't going to wait around and say, hey, are you going to tackle this? Hey, are you going to tackle this? I'm like, yo, I'm going to take on this, you know, uncircumcised Philistine of the media myself, and I'm going to do something about it, right? So that's when I kind of really realized that my passion for art or my passion for for fashion, that those things are fine, and I could probably make money doing those things, but the fulfillment is going to be aligned with what my purpose is, right? And I think my purpose was to to be a voice for people um, in my in my generation, because people always tell me, you got an old soul, you don't act like this, you talk this way, whatever. And that just, a lot of people don't understand, but that just comes from trauma and hurt, right? I had to grow up a little bit faster than most of my peers. So when I'm put in these positions and I'm in, and I'm in leadership roles, I have a callous about me and a, and a sense of experience about me that a lot of my peers just do not have, right? So I understood with that, you know, <laughs> the whole Spider-Man thing about um, with great power comes great responsibility. I understood that if I had these skill sets in this, in this, in this purpose-driven type of approach, I need to do something with that, right? So it was kind of in those moments and all those things started to be watered and it started being confirmed with some other things that I started doing, but it was really this idea that it's bigger than me. Like I'm, I'm a, I'm a, you know, a, a speck of sand in this giant, you know, sandcastle built um, to, to put on display for everybody to see, right? I'm just a small part. Yeah. I think, you know, this, this whole concept that, um, we fight so hard to make room for the skill set. So if we're, you know, a dancer, we're a writer, we're a, we're an actor, we, we, we have a tendency to get so single focused on, you know, if, if I love to dance or I love to act or I love to sing, you know, the natural bend as well. I want to blow up as an artist or I want to, you know, I want to be on stage, but what you're talking about is stepping back when you understand one, when you understand the vision beyond the skill set, that there is this purpose and that the purpose that we have, we've been equipped for. That's really what you're saying is that we've been equipped for this purpose. So you have all these skill sets for a reason and, and those skill sets are there to serve the purpose, not the purpose to be the skill set. Correct. Yeah, correct. It's funny. Somebody, we interviewed this guy named Ezekiel, who's like a, a poet known around the world. And one of the things he said too is just like, yo, my skill set is, is to do poems, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's my purpose. He said, my purpose, I gotta, I'm supposed to provide for my family. Like that's what I'm called to do. So if it's outside of poetry, I still have a responsibility to provide for my family, right? So, you know, I, I tell people all the time, and you know, we was talking about it on Clubhouse, it's kind of that same thing. It's like, listen, if if I if I start this magazine and I start this media company. And it doesn't make me millions, but it still feeds my purpose. Then I mean, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I think a lot of times we add everything else to it and say, oh, we're only supposed to do it if it feeds us. We're only supposed to do it if it's making us money. We're only supposed to do it if it gives us fame and accolades, which is just not true. It's the furthest thing from the truth. Because like you said, there's a person who may be a phenomenal dancer, but that doesn't mean that she's supposed to be touring on stage with, you know, Beyonce. It might mean that she's supposed to open up a dance studio in three different cities, where it's underserved or underprivileged. Like, you know what I mean? Like, but, pe- but it's not sexy. <laughs> it's not the sexy. 
that, right? No fame comes with that, right? And I think, I think, I think we do a disservice to ourselves, if I'm being quite honest, when we only think we're that our we only think we're in our purpose if we're quote unquote successful. But I think here's the here's the thing that I have been seeing, especially over the last couple of years, uh, is that when you do genuinely lean into your purpose and you might start you know that whole we started from the bottom now we're here like you might go and start a dance studio to take your analogy go and start a dance studio in three different places of under you know underserved communities but you don't know what that actually could learn lean into because i think so many times we we know the end goal right we the end goal might actually be the stage the end goal might be the big you know big flashy lights but uh, the thing of it is, is that the, the journey that we all lead to get there is going to be different. And too many times we're trying to say, well, that guy did it this way in order to get there. So I got to do it exactly like them, you know, and, and what you're saying is, listen, if you lean into your purpose and you use that as the, the, the filter, you use that as the kind of the navigation system, even if it doesn't look sexy, that's going to be the door that could, that could open up. And, and, and I, you know, I talk about this a lot is that, you know, so many performers, so many artists, so many creatives are, are, are working so hard to get through the front door that 250,000 people are trying to get through. But, but there's other ways to get there. Every, every room has a back door, every opportunity has a back door. And if you can figure out what, where, where your skill set leads you to a back door, you'll be really, you'll be really surprised. And so, I mean, so you're talking about this purpose um, that you have, how did that lead you to the magazine? Yeah. So like I said, the conversation that I had with Keith Bethel, my mentor kind of is what sparked it. Like, okay, a magazine, right. But mind you, I've never, I've never ran a magazine before. Didn't know anybody who had a magazine. So the closest thing I had to that was like the church magazine. So I used to write, you know, for them, you know, so, which is nowhere near the blueprint you want to follow. So I didn't have any of that. So I started, you know, really doing the due diligence. You know, I had a business plan, 100 page business plan, like kind of what you said, like, okay, this is how people start a business and that's what I'm going to do. And then it kind of, as time went on, I, I realized that two things. I realized first and foremost that just because I have a hundred page business plan is not going to ensure me success. Right. I think it was good that I had the discipline to do it. Right. I'm, I'm glad I had that discipline to do it, but I realized at the end of the day, I was just like, yo, like, at the, like none of that stuff is really going to, it's not going to drive the, the mission. It's not going to drive the fact that, Hey, there's one specific thing that I want to do. And that's being a creative alternative in this space, in this media space that people can say, man, I needed that man. That speaks to me, man. That represents me. Right. So that's, so I had to keep on going back to that. And I, and I, and I'm going somewhere because as, as time went on and things weren't the way I thought they were going to be right. I have somebody big on the cover. I'm like, Oh, this is the one everybody going to know who we are after this one. Nope. Right. And if I don't go back to, but why did you start this magazine? Did you start it so that everybody knows who it is after, or because of this person? Or did you start it because you said you wanted people to have proper representation, right? So I literally had to always go back to that. You see what I mean? So that's that's what kind of hitched me along in every moment. So when it, when it, the thing about the magazine, I just realized that, especially this was 
mind you, I had this conversation. This had to be 2011, 2012. So we're going back some time. I didn't launch anything until 2016, right? So, yeah, so there was a gap where I'm just trying to learn. I'm doing surveys. I'm doing um, focus groups. Like, I'm really trying to understand how to do this well because I have a mantra that perfection is the goal, but excellence is accepted, right? So I want to do everything with excellence. I don't want to be like the, the Chinese American store. You open it up and just everybody comes, even though the store looks like crap. I want to be the one that people are like, yo, this looks amazing. This aesthetically looks great. Wow, I can tell you put in some work and the food is good. You know, I wanted to be that place. So with the magazine, it was just, I knew it was just one medium in which um, I could reach people and a lot of people were giving pushback like, well, black people don't read or print is dying or, you know, you put Christian on and people aren't going to follow all this other nonsense that I was hearing. But I felt like that was one of the easiest mediums that I could get into immediately with the skill sets that I had. I didn't have a background in TV to try to jump directly into that podcasting was kind of dying. I remember it came out and then it was kind of fizzling out. So I didn't have a, a appetite to try to do podcasting. So the magazine just seemed to make sense. I said a couple of things. As a magazine, magazines give people credibility. Magazines highlight people's stories. So those are two things that I can do with this medium. That's the reason why I was kind of dead set on it being a magazine. But like I said, since then, it's kind of evolved. The magazine is the, is the launching pad, but now, you know, we have podcasts, and now we're going to be doing more media stuff. But a magazine is always going to be the, the bedrock of all this, right? Because I get to do those things. And I feel like magazines, our job is to, to be be um you know hallmarks of the times right those things don't go away digital things can get lost you know a meme today blows up you forget about it right with a magazine those be on your coffee table forever like that's in print that's ingrained in the hallmarks of the time so if someone was to look at one of my magazines 10 years from now they should be able to tell the landscape of what was going on right so i feel like it has that responsibility so that's why i really leaned into that but with the magazine and the reason why i tell people all the time i'm not I'm not dead set on this thing. If the magazine didn't work, I'll be totally fine with transitioning into a different type of form, right? So I wouldn't have a problem with that. I think sometimes when we chase our dreams, we're so dead set on it having to look a certain kind of way. I'm not that. I'm not that guy. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to at the at the at the I guess discourse or the or the harm of my family. I'm not going to cut my nose to spite my face, right? I'm not going to do this in spite of if it's not working and be like, hey, we can't be profitable doing this, then we need to do something else, right? Because I can still engage a culture that can't elope. I can still uh, speak for people who don't have a voice through other mediums now, especially now. Because like I said, that was, that was a long time ago. Now, if you think about it, you know, we, we launched our website 2015. The first magazine came out 2016. So things were even really different then. Social media was just really picking up steam, right? But we still only had like three of them. So things changed, you know? So I'm curious, because you said you, you took from 2012 to 2016 before you launched your first... But the first magazine came out 2016, correct? Yeah, so... so Because that's... A, I mean, that's a long time, right? And And I feel like so many creatives were really inspired by by feeling we're, we're, we're emotional creatures. And so we could have an idea today that we're super excited about. And five minutes later, we've, we, we've, it's fizzled out. Right. How did you, how did you stay focused for years before you were ever able to launch really the product that you, you had at this, at the forefront of this vision? The, the solutions never came. <laughs> nobody else did it in a way that I thought was reputable. Uh, you know, nobody did it in a way that I thought 
oh, this makes sense. And then the one that did come along, I said, oh, if anything, they just inspired me that I really do have to do this, right? I think between that time, Blavity had just came out and Blavity was great. I was just like, oh, dope. But I realized there was some sauce that we would bring that was different. But Blavity helped me understand that there was a market for it. So those were the two things I understood. Because as I'm doing all this research and I'm trying to learn it all I can learn, because me being a recovering perfectionist, that was my Achilles heel, right? It was, is there really a market for what I'm trying to do? Can I be successful doing this, right? Those are, I need to know those things. Those things are important. So it was either, what is my competition? Are there any solutions? And then if there is someone who's trying to meet that, a similar need, do they open up the market for us? And I think the answer was yes, right? So it was kind of just what I've seen. I've seen that the need was still there. And then there was one company who kind of was doing well at it, but was different because they didn't have a magazine. They just was like news and 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 black tech. So it was a lot of the same things. Like they had black tech because there wasn't enough representation of people in black tech. So it was it was a similar thing, but it was different medium. So I realized like, yeah, we could really come in and, and have this alternative media, this magazine that's different from any other publications out right now and really niche down. And the people who identify with it, they're, they're gonna be our lifers, you know? So it was more of that. I didn't see solutions. And then I seen that the market was right for um, what we were trying to do. How do you think those couple of years, there's those three or four years of that research, do you feel like that, that had anything to do with the success of the magazine and like, did it, how did it help you guys to be, you know, sustainable? Cause I mean, in all honesty, bro, like magazines, even though what you said is true print, there is a lot of people that engage digitally, right? And so you had to do something right to make this something that continues to grow. Do you think that you found that in those, in that research time? I think what I found in those years was that when it's not working, I could, I could stick it out, right? While on the way up, I could stick it out. Those four years taught me um, that it was, again, that it's attached to purpose. It's not attached to just money. It's attached to purpose. It's not just attached to accolades. Right. And then it also helped me realize that, yo, if this does not work, are you okay with that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if this, if it doesn't pan out the way that you envision, are you okay with that? And the answer was yes, because I look back and I see all the work that we put into it. And I knew that was going to translate, right? I tell people all the time, people buy people. And I think when you give yourself time to cook and time to develop, when you put that product out, people, people are going to gravitate towards it because they're like, yo, they took their time with it. That's why I gave you the example of the corner stores, right? They're like, yo, they took their time. It's not that you cannot make money if you do it quickly. It's not that you cannot be successful, but I I think the type of people that I wanted to attract, the type of people that I wanted to represent, I think it was more indicative for us to really take our time to make it right. You know, our very first issue had somebody who had over a million Instagram followers on the cover, right? Not a lot of independent publications can say that, right? They they have to go local. And we were like, no, nope, we're going big, right? But I felt confident in going big. And I think that's another thing that I think about it. It helped me continue to reach bigger because of that time that I took. I was like, yo, I know I put time into this. I know I put quality into this. So if it's quality, we can go after quality people, right? That's how I looked at it. I said, yo, our website, I spent thousands of dollars on this thing. This ain't no, this ain't no, uh, no Squarespace website. This ain't no Wix website. You know what I mean? Like we really built this. You know, the content, everything meant something. Everything that we were doing had a method to its madness. It wasn't just fly by night. And I think understanding those things allowed me to reach high, right? Go big, you know, go after um, big people to advertise with us, right? I think it allowed me to, to have some cash and some gravitas to do that because I remember everything I put in there, right? It's like a cook who's like, they don't, I would have to taste this. 
I know everything I put in it. I know they're going to love it, right? I think it was more of that. I took my time to cook this so well that when I reach for big people, I feel like I'm going to get them. So, you know, obviously collaboration is, you know, is in my mind is essential to being able to build a platform. I mean, whether you're whatever space you're in, right. You know, collaborations on, on social media, collaborations on projects, uh, all that kind of stuff is, is super important. So through this process, you had to learn a ton about collaborations and what have been the biggest, biggest takeaways in this journey that you have gotten about not collaborating, not just building collaborations, but collaborations that benefit both parties. Yeah. So to be quite honest, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not a, I, early on, intentionally, I wasn't really big on network. I still don't really like networking, uh, but I wasn't really big on collaboration. And I'll tell you why. A lot of times, especially in Philadelphia, people, people were clout chasing before that became, you know, a, a, a hot button, whatever the case may be. So I didn't want to attach the magazine to, to someone else who was already kind of big or whatever the case may be. I wanted to kind of create my own little hub and my own little silo and be like, hey, let's let's do this really well. And then, you know, once we pick up some traction, to your point, you know, people will see the value in it, right? So I really wanted to create value in what we were doing before we really did any collaborations. Now, as a magazine, obviously you have to interview people, so you have to uh, do that. But early on, we didn't really have much to offer, if I'm being very honest, outside of the, the ingredients that I know I put in it. The very the first three people that we reached out to was Vanessa Simmons, Angela Simmons, and Tori Kelly. When we went to them, all we had was a website. So, and our website numbers weren't crazy. Like right now, our website numbers are really good. You know, last week it was like sixty five thousand visits. The week before that was like eighty thousand visits. So our website traffic is better now. It's still not, you know, it's not blabbity, but it's, it's better now. But mind you, back in two thousand sixteen, I mean, we were probably probably getting a thousand, two thousand a week if we were. Right. So I really didn't have much to, to leverage to somebody to say, hey, this is why you should do this. All we had is, listen, this is what we put in. This is the concept. And people would either buy in or they wouldn't. I think because of the quality, again, why those four years matter, it was quality put into it. Vanessa was like, yes, I'll do it. And we were just like, what? Like, this is amazing. So as we started to grow, we, we, I look at it more, my collaboration is more about how I can leverage my platform for other people. I don't actually collaborate to benefit, and I know that sounds counterproductive, but I just don't. That's just not my style, right? I'm always a person who I, I think, I put, I think, I'm not going to compromise my integrity for income, and I really, I think the number one currency is relationships. So for me, it's always about being available. Like, how can I, how can I help you? Now, with that being said, People are in our DMs and emails all the time. Hey, can we get a shout out? Hey, can we do this? I'm like, no. But it's not because I'm going to be a jerk. Is that, hey, if I do that, our, our branding loses leverage for people who actually, you know, deserve it, right? If we just let any old regular everybody onto the platform, people who can really help us leverage this platform, we won't be able to reach anymore. It's, it's kind of, I learned this reading about Michael Jordan. Are you familiar with the fact that he only has like, he only average, it's only like four advertising deals, right? but there are some of the biggest advertising deals in the, in the world. It's Wheaties, it's Hanes, Nike. I can't remember. Maybe those are like three, right? But it's like the whole diamond approach, right? It's like, sure, you can go out and get 50 brand deals, you know, whatever the case may be, but you kind of you kind of lose a little bit of that because, you know, you're spread out all over the place. But with Michael Jordan, his whole diamond thing is like, yo, the value of this thing is huge because you're like, no, because of this, 
when, uh, when I do leverage it for other people, they're going to benefit greatly from it because I'm this way, right? So we looked at it like, hey, and the reason why we reached really big for the people that's on the cover is because we want to have this little micro-influencer who's doing great things in Flint, Michigan. We want to have this little person over here who's phenomenal in the church, and I think we need to highlight them. They only benefit if we can continue to get the big people. If we, if we just open it up, right, and collab with just everybody, then it kind of loses that, right? So I'm, I'm not huge on collaboration in, in the traditional regard, but I am really huge on, like, how can we leverage this? So something that we're doing now, we were just on TV today, NBC 10 in Philadelphia, it was a big deal because for February, we're leveraging where we're going to have small businesses, black businesses that was affected by COVID. We're going to give them free advertising for our March issue, 28 of them, because there's 28 days in Black History Month, right? We're only able to, that's a hundred, mind you, that's over $100,000 worth of advertising. We're only able to do that because of how we've navigated these last three years. You see what I'm saying? Where it's going to actually be beneficial to them, where we can actually have, you know, Malcolm Jenkins is about to be on the cover of our February issue. If we, if we, you know, just collaborate with everybody, I don't think we would be able to have that type of leverage. So my collaboration um, tactics <laughs> are a little unconventional in that sense, right? But they're, but they're strategic. So again, how, how did you, so when you reached out to those three people, was there like a method to your madness why you reached out to those three people? And do you, do you continue to use some methodology around those people you do decide to reach out to yeah, absolutely. Uh, for that? Yeah, it's the, we had a story to tell. You know, we had our, our first issue was a play on everybody hates Chris, right? So it was the it was um it was all about art. So every article started with the art of the art of the bromance, like relationships with men, the art of this, right? So everything kind of was like a play on that. And at that time, Vanessa was uh kind of just coming back to kind of the limelight to do some stuff. Uh, Angela was kind of like ascending. She was like her star was going up and Tori Kelly's star was going up, right? So we just thought that their voices and the things that they were attached to was like, yo, we think they'd be really good to kind of uh, communicate this messaging that we're trying to do. And we've always been really big, and I said it to you offline, on highlighting people's character more than we highlight their celebrity. We humanize the, the, we humanize the celebrity and highlight the character. So that's always our agenda for everybody that we put on our covers, right? That's what we want to do. So we thought that they were people and that are millennials, that uh, have a voice to millennials, that people, you know, our age group, our demographic that we wanted to reach, listens to them, enjoys them, whatever it takes to be. And we felt like they had a story. And that's why it was perfect with Vanessa because her story tied in perfectly what we, we were trying to do. You know, she was just getting to a place where she started, um, you know, rededicating herself to her faith, rededicating herself to her craft. Because, you know, she had just went through some stuff and she was back in that in that space of really like um, relationships and things like that. So it was, it was like the perfect marriage. Um, I feel like only God could have set that up for us. But it is still very much that. It still is. Who do, who do we think can best communicate these messages? And so you know, for Black History Month, we know this year specifically, I really been burdened to make sure that we highlight more men, especially black men. So on my interview at NBC 10, my shirt said that black men are not a monolith, right? So we wanted to get men who are, you know, peak athletes, you know, people look at the as the quintessential manhood or masculinity, right? And get them to break down some of those things that I think men often don't talk about or go through, rather as mental health or toxic masculinity and things like, and style and fashion, right? It was it was for God and we all were into fashion and able to talk about that, right? Um, so it's things like that where we start to break down these stereotypes and open up a space where black men can say, oh yeah, I like fashion too, we can talk about that, right? Um, so That's I'm dope. really intentional about our messaging. 
Yeah, that's dope. Well, let's talk. Let's let's quick. Uh, we've been talking about this journey and this magazine and a little bit. Everybody's what magazine we're talking about. It's it's in club magazine. Uh, give everybody a breakdown. Really? What is the what is the purpose behind the magazine? Uh, and and why did you start it? Yeah. So in club magazine. It's funny, the pillar stands uh, mainly stand for influential, inspire, involved in Christ. We felt like that was a way that we would earn people's respect. Because to your point, you can get free content almost everywhere now. So how, why, why would people still pay for a magazine, right? Why would people still think this is important? Why would people still advertise with this, right? So we realized that there was not a magazine that we thought spoke directly to the true millennial that was actually based by millennials, right? You even have people who are, you know, in their 60s, like, oh, we need to reach the millennial audience. But you didn't have actually, you know, this thing. So we we call our interviews conversations with friends, where it's kind of like this, where it's like, we can learn from each other, but it's not lecture, right? It's really conversation. It's like, when I have a problem, I don't call my uncle, I call my friends, you know? And I wanted it to feel that way, where it's this thing that we're in the same boat. We're not talking down to you, like we got all the answers, right? So I wanted to be really intentional on how we how we even write stuff was really big. But the magazine specifically was, hey, how, how can we make sure that um, we are communicating proper representation of the best of who we are and who we aspire to be as black people. Because I think for too often, the same thing is perpetuated. It's always the same stories, the same type of people. And it was like ridiculous. I'm like, man, like, have y'all ever been to an HBCU? Have y'all ever been to a barbecue? There's so many different type of black people. Like, I like Styles P and Harry Styles. You know what I mean? Like, we're not, we're not <laughs> you know, we're not in this one box, but that's the only thing they were keep on pushing, keep on pushing. So I really had an issue with that. I said, man, I want to make sure that we can, again, cover the wider diaspora of, of black people, right? And, and do that in a way that is creative, do that in a way that is uh, visually appealing, and do that in a way that we felt really represented this generation um, that I call a motley crew because we're slash everything, right? Every millennial does more than one thing. And I think that's the beauty of it because most people, they'll tell you, oh, niche down, niche down, niche down because it's harder to market. Like, millennials aren't like that. You know, we, we care about stuff. Millennials care about climate just as much as they care about, you know, sus, uh, sustainable, you know, uh, uh, fashion and tech and things like that, right? We care about these things a lot more than the Gen X and definitely much more than the baby boomers did. So why, why are we trying to separate this, right? It really, we really, we really are this multifaceted generation. So I wanted to make sure the magazine spoke to that. And I think being from Philadelphia, was perfect. That's what Philadelphia is, one of the most diverse cities in the world, right? Um, I, t <laughs> I tell people all the time, the beautiful thing about Philadelphia is it's hard to be a racist in Philadelphia because you do life with everybody. You do life with everybody. Like, I, on my block right now, I have I have at least people of four different, you know, descents, you know, Asian descent and uh, Indian descent. So, and and that's what Philadelphia is, and that's what I wanted the magazine to feel like that. You know, if, if we have an Asian American on the cover, or if we have a, a, black, uh, a black man on the cover, that it's not odd that people aren't like, oh, what kind of magazine is this? It's a millennial magazine, you know, because that's who we are. That's who we do life with. So I wanted it to feel very organic in that way. Like, man, this magazine speaks to how we do life and who we do life with. That's that's awesome, man. Well, listen, I, I love what you guys are about. I love uh, to, you know, if you go and check these guys out on Instagram, uh, and go in and, and get a copy of their magazine. Cause it, it, like he talked about, they, they put a lot of effort into making this thing, this thing nice. Uh, and, and the content in it is, is great. It's not just a, a magazine that, uh, you know, tells a bunch of stories, but it, it, it definitely 
gives you, there's a purpose behind every publication. And uh, I think you guys are doing some awesome work. If they want to connect with you further, want to learn more about what you're up to uh, and with the magazine, how can they find you? Yeah, so the magazine is in the app store for all devices. Unlike Clubhouse, we don't discriminate against our Android users. (laughs) (laughs) So you guys can actually go download Club Magazine in the app store. Um, also the website if you want to check out all the topics and things that we talk about and obviously our Instagram uh, in club magazine and you guys can follow me at d.ringle ringle has two G's I can never go broke my last name has two G's um, on there <laughs> um, where I talk about Oreos and, and a whole bunch of other cool stuff but um, you know that's, that's primarily but I, I really I'm really excited about the things that we're doing with the magazine this year so I, I really want people to to engage and contribute to the conversation. Cause like I said, that's the beautiful thing about this. We're not, we're not a legacy magazine where we're so off. Like we, we want to be where the people are. So we love when people interact. We love when people, you know, communicate. We love people disagree. You know what I mean? Um, we have all that in the comments and I think there's space for that and it's necessary. So yeah. Well, man, I appreciate what you guys are doing and uh, look forward to seeing what the future holds. And again, thank you for making uh, time and adding so much value on this episode, bro. Thank you, man. I appreciate you, man. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to another episode of the My Creative District podcast with your host, Jesse Paul Smith. Here, we turn your passion into profit. Follow us on Facebook and stay tuned for another episode of the My Creative District podcast.